Well, it's a beautiful Sabbath day outside. And while Mr. Ames is talking, I was just thinking how far that we in God's church have come in, since global, since the first meeting, I think, at Dr. Meredith's house. How far we've come and how much God has blessed all of us and, and how fortunate we are to know and understand God's truth. Now, the other Independence Day, I think it was about two weeks ago, Wednesday, I was watching C-SPAN, and they had four medical honor men on there, one of the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor is the highest military decoration awarded by the U.S. government, and it's sanctioned by the Congress, but awarded by the President of the United States. And each one of these men, the four, were being one from World War II, three from the Vietnam War. They were being questioned. And they asked the question, they were asked the question, do you think it was worth it? That you were wounded, you went into battle, do you think it was worth it? They said, absolutely. They said, where did you get your courage to do that? They said, faith. It was the faith that gave me the courage to do the job. And all of them risked their lives in order to save other people. But this one individual, who was a helicopter pilot, he was talking about an incident that happened. His job was to fly in under fire and rescue the wounded. said this one particular African-American soldier was standing on top of the hill. The Viet Cong was coming up, and he was there shooting, trying to keep them off. And finally, they got him. They shot off both his legs, and they kept, he kept firing. They kept climbing the hill, so they threw a hand grenade, and he caught it with his right hand. Then as he was about to release it, it blew his arm off. So the pilot did fight his way down, did rescue the man with no legs, with one arm, took him to the hospital, and they saved his life. And when he was recuperating... He was asked the question, do you think that was worth it? Do you have any regrets? He said, absolutely not. I would do it again for my country. I love my country. I was fighting for my country. And I still have one good left arm to give to my country. So that almost brought tears to my eyes. And I thought, boy, what if God's people, God's church, had that same desire of fighting with passion the unity that these soldiers have. They vowed to never leave a comrade back there. They will always go back under fire. One of them said he had his commander uh, on his shoulders with his right arm blown off. The commander said, put, him, put me down and go back and get my arm. So he had to fight his way back, get the man's arm. He was wounded. And uh, so it was uh, the bravery. So that medal goes beyond the call of duty where these men was willing to sacrifice their lives for others. They had others in mind. It was their job, and they fulfilled that job. But what struck me was it was the faith that gave me the courage to act. If we don't have the faith, then we don't have the courage, and we're not going to act. And that's what God wants all of us to do, is to learn to have faith and courage so we can act. So we, as God's people, are in a spiritual war, as we've been taught many times against Satan, against this world, and against self. Any battle, you always have casualties. You always lose some. And God knew that he was going to lose some, but he had called. There would be a casualty, 
And you wonder, why is that? Why is that? So that's why Christ asks us to count the cost before we start. To count the cost and see whether or not we're going to go all the way in this battle. If we're going to be victorious. Or will we quit and give up, become cowards, and lose out? So that's a question as we has been posed to us. Now Peter, as we heard in the sermonette, he thought he had the courage to lay down his life for Christ. If you'll turn to John chapter 12, or 13, I'm sorry. John chapter 13. Jesus was encouraging them, telling about his impending death, but I don't think Peter and them really understood what he was going to have to go through. In verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, Peter thought he had the courage to follow Christ, to lay down his life, if that's what it took. But he didn't realize the whipping, the beating that Christ was going to have to go through. So what did Peter do? He chickened out. But that was only momentarily, as we heard. He repented deeply for that. He never did deny Jesus Christ anymore. So Jesus tells us to count the cost. It's going to cost us something, brethren. We don't know exactly what the future holds for us. But it's going to cost us, and we have to be ready to pay that price. We have to be victorious in it. In Luke chapter 9, we look at Luke chapter 9. Mario Hernandez, Hernandez gave a sermon on the cross a few weeks ago. Luke chapter 9. And Jesus said, Then he said to them, said, If anyone desires to come after me, if that's our desire to come after me. You know, a lot of people want to come to Christ, but they don't want to obey what he says. They get excited in coming, but they don't last long sometimes. They lose that desire because they realize it's going to cost them something down the road. Let him deny himself. You see, don't deny Christ himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we see again that it's always talking about life. Life. And what kind of life do we have? Is it a righteous life or is it a sinning life? See, what kind of life do we have or are we living in life and understanding that? So it's not how that we start out in the church. Christ said it would be a difficult way, it will be a tough way, it will be a hard way, and it's not for the faint-hearted. It's for those who endure, those who have the tenacity to fight. And brethren, we have to fight we're in a war. We have to realize that. We don't have peace out there. We're in a war. Fighting against self whom we can't see. We can't see what we are. We're fighting against Satan. We can pretty much tell who we must tell who he is. And this world out there, that wicked world. So we're in that battle for our mind, for our life. Our very life depends on it. How we handle that. James asked this important question in the book of James. Chapter 4, verse 13, 
James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make profit. So they were looking at the long-range plan in, in their life. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, there's no one in this building can tell you exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. Nobody knows. But we take it by faith and courage. Whatever happens, we believe we have the, fight, the faith to fight, the courage to endure, and to overcome and grow until it is removed, whatever trial or test we may fight. For what is your life? That's the question. Well, if it's temporary, it's like a vapor. It just appears a little while, and it leaves. You know, I'm almost as old as Dr. Merritt. Almost. I'm not saying I am, but uh, almost. But he'll look back, and I can look back and seem like yesterday. We were playing sports or playing with cars or whatever, just like yesterday. We look back, and we see it's just a memory. All that back there is a memory in our minds. And so our life then, what is it? And I ask myself, is my life a righteous life, or is it a sinning life? Do I seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness? That would make it a righteous life, you see. If I'm seeking God's righteousness, then I'm not seeking my temporary life, but the righteousness of God, which will live forever. And that's why the life is so important that we understand how we live it. Either temporary, sinful, are righteous to live forever and ever in the family of Almighty God. Now, brethren, life has its hurts, its setbacks, its defeats, but we must take the hurt and keep moving toward the kingdom of God. There's not a one of us in this building has experienced hurt, defeats, and setbacks at times. We've all gone through that. But that's that quality of mind, you see, that makes a champion. A champion just doesn't happen. He has to work. He has to sweat. He has to endure to become a champion. It's not easy to be a champion. You only have a few champions in life or in sports and all. So they have to have the ability to play with hurt, grit their teeth, go through certain trials and tests, but they don't quit. They don't give up at all. They stay with it. And you can see that determination in one's face, that I am a champion and you've got to defeat me. So they don't give up. They don't quit. They don't get their way. They say it's too hard. No, they keep going. So we have to understand that, that we can never refuse to give up what we've already attained. We attained it through sweat and tears and defeats and setbacks. So we have to stay with it all the time. And understand that. Mr. Armstrong used to say, keep your eye on the ball. See, don't, if you've ever played sports, you've got to see the ball. If you don't, you'll miss it. Of course, he was talking about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the big picture right there. As Mr. Meredith said last week, everything else is insignificant. It's the big picture. It's what we look at. That's where life is. Life on earth is temporary. The big picture is where life is. And that life is with God, as we know. So we understand, then, that our life must be a righteous life. However, many challenges are yet ahead of us in this generation. 
Some of us may face trials and temptations that could throw us. But if we face those trials, and we, are, we do have a setback, we need to bounce back. Time forces one to make decisions. This coming tribulation, brethren, on this generation, and perhaps on God's church, is going to force people to make decisions. They'll have to make a decision. Am I taking the mark of the beast, or am I willing to give up my life? Live for Christ. If I give up, if I take the mark of the beast, it's probably temporary. However, if I give my life for Christ, it's forever. And people will have to make that decision. And it's going to take a lot of faith and a lot of courage on someone's part to make the right decision. See, and, you know, and fight for that decision. The Apostle Paul understood what a great price was paid for life itself. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So he wrote to the church there at Corinth who were having their problems. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, a person then who surrendered, as we, as we heard from the book that Dr. Mary wrote, who has surrendered to God 100%, he's not his own. He realizes it's not his life anymore. He has surrendered that life, the temporary life, to the eternal life of Jesus Christ, who lives in us. How? Through the Holy Spirit. But you're not your own. You know, I don't own my body. I've been purchased by Christ. He owns it. He owns everything about me. Everything about me. He owns it. And I try to honor Him in my body. I try to dress for him. I try to eat the things that would be pleasing to the body. You know, you try not to put any unclean thing in your body. It makes you sick. In a clean body, it's very difficult to put an unclean thing in the body. It tends to make you sick. But everything, Christ owns the body. He owns the life. It's his life that he has sacrificed and given to us. For you were bought at a price. Now, he didn't buy us with silver and gold and money, but by his precious blood. That's how he purchased us. You know, we all the same. All had the same amount of blood of Christ to cover our past sins. Aren't you glad that he didn't pay, well, I was worth uh, $20. Somebody else might be worth $1,000, you know, if he had to purchase a life. But he realizes, and we realize, that we all were under the same penalty. There's no such thing as a good sinner. See, no such thing as that. I've heard people say, well, I like him, but he's a liar. You can't help from liking him. We put our faith in hoping somebody's going to be good. Well, what kind of good? All they know is human good. And people put their faith in human good instead of God's good. You know, what would please him? So we're bought and purchased Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, you see, brethren, you're not your own this afternoon. If you surrender to God, God owns you. God is the one who makes decisions. You go to God in prayer. He's the one who makes decisions for us. We, he guides us. We are a slave, been purchased, sold out, counted the cost. You see, to give myself as a slave... To the one who purchased me, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now verse 7, uh, 1 Corinthians. Verse 7. Verse 19. Uh, verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. He says, stay within where you've been called. Stay within that realm unless it violates God's law. Stay with that, whatever you are. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Unless it breaks God's law. Sometimes, you know, a person may be called in, in, in the army. Or he may be in the army when he's called. If that violates God's law, then he'll make arrangements to get out, you see. He can't remain in that same calling if it violates God's law. So God says, if it does not violate his law, remain in that calling. Verse 21, where you call while a slave, do not concern about it. But if you can be made free, rather than then use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is in is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men, you see. We're not men pleasers. We please God. Man can't do anything to us but kill us. The church can't save us. It's Christ in us that saves us. You see, it's Him that we please. It's He is the head of the church. He is the head of everything. And we all belong to Him if we have surrendered our lives to Him and given ourselves to Him as a slave. See, as a slave. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, who had purchased them. They had turned, you see, on the very one who bought them and purchased them. Now, what is their fate? You see. Once they're turned on the per one who bought that individual and didn't stay with them and, t and turned on Christ, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's why we all have to be careful about the truth. We have to know the truth. We have to understand that truth. I know I've been challenged with that since I've been in the church of God. Sometimes they want to fire me and different organizations, they'd call me up and say, Bob League, where do you stand? I said, where do you, what do you mean where I stand? I stand the same way I did at baptism. I haven't changed the truth. I live the truth. And I was demoted, threatened to be fired, simply because they felt like I wouldn't change. Well, who's going to pay me then to preach heresy, to preach the Trinity, and fire me if I didn't preach the Trinity? Heresy. Isn't that horrible when somebody fires you for not wanting to preach the Trinity? And they're supposed to be preachers? They're supposed to be ministers? God says, don't follow that way. See, don't follow that way. You belong to me. And I'm the one who will test you. 
and see where you stand eventually. So let's just briefly look at what makes a Christian. How does one become a Christian? If we go back to what John wrote, Jesus, what he said in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And Jesus plainly says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And, be, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And I remember the very moment that I was called. The very moment that I was called. And you know what I started doing? Trying to find out the true church. Trying to find out. I didn't know anybody. It was Mr. Armstrong and me. You know how that goes. No, nowhere to go. Nowhere to fellowship. But that moment... I started pursuing the church or Christ. See, that's what he said. So I look back and see how did I fulfill some of that scripture. As you look back on your life, how did you come to the church, the truth? See, we ask ourselves that question. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father will sent, who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Sunday preachers, they said, well, you're not paying attention to the Father. I'll open the doors to the church. Come on down here. Come on down to Christ. Accept Christ, you see. They leave the Father completely out. And Christ plainly says nobody can come to him unless the Father draws him. The Father is the one that helps us to see our past sins. You see, we repent of the past sins. Then we must believe the Father's message that is sent by Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God that Christ brought. Then we're granted repentance. You see, we're granted repentance. Then we're baptized. Then we're hands are laid on by a true minister of God. And we receive the Holy Spirit, an earnest paper. And that begins the process. See, that's the starting point of being a Christian. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. You see, it's the starting point of a Christian. It's like the cologne babies. They have a starting point. She doesn't know how to talk yet. She doesn't know how to walk yet. She can't build a computer. But you see, people then think they know as much as anybody else when they are called into the church. They know everything, just about. As Mr. Ames said, he was going to give a sermon on the teachable. He knows you cannot teach the unteachable. You can't teach if somebody knows it all. But that's the starting point of being taught, being taught God's way of, <clears throat> of life. So after we receive the Holy Spirit, then what does God require? What is the first requirement? That's the subject of a Christian. What does God require of us after we receive His Holy Spirit? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. And Jesus was asked this important question, and he gave an answer. Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, 
our soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all of the law and the prophets. So he was talking about a law of love, which they didn't understand. If we love God first with all of our hearts, all of our mind, then we're going to do what is pleasing to him. Then we will love our neighbor. So he's talking about love, you see. The greatest gift that God gives a human being is the gift of love. Our life, we would say, a life that is filled with love, a life that is filled with peace, which is not our life. It's a life of Christ. Now he's living in us. And that's his life that we receive and understand. So on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So I prove God how much I love him by loving my neighbor. It's easy to love God. I haven't seen him. But it's difficult to love the neighbor. It's difficult to, to, to forgive a neighbor. It's difficult to say, I'm sorry if I've hurt you in any way. Will you please forgive me? See, love covers that. Love gives us the courage to go to someone if we have offended them in any way and say, I'm sorry. Now, it used to be hard to do when you weren't used to things like that. But it's easy if you're receiving, you know, the love that comes from God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, we go back there. In verse 12 of Deuteronomy 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And we could say the same thing. Now the church of God, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the, etern fear the eternal your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, serve the eternal your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, in essence, and all of your being. Because you belong to him. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to keep the commandments of the Lord is, and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. See, Then in verse in chapter 11, we read verse 13. And it shall be, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, It shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then God begins to say what he will do for you. The requirement is, after we receive this love, that we use it. We put it into practice. We exercise it, you see. And we understand it more and more. Now, go back to a couple of... Deuteronomy chapter 6 was read last week. Here again, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God wants us, brethren, He wants it taught that His way works. There's one congregation, there's one body, one spirit, one baptism, and one way, and that is the way through Christ. It's only one. Israel was one. One congregation. But they were all divided. You know, they finally divided up. But God wants His church to be one body or one congregation, no matter where we are, with the same love for God and for each other. 
no matter where we are, no matter what congregation we attend, it should be a one congregation in all. So it requires a powerful love. Humans don't have this love, brethren. We were not born with this love. And Paul tells us how to receive it. And let's turn to Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5. In verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what is our hope? Our hope is a resurrection. Faith is what takes us and courage to that hope. And once we receive that hope, we're born into the family of God to live forever. That is our hope. Our hope of going into His glory and living forever in His glory. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So you see, brethren, then, it's God's Spirit that pours out His love that gives us the ability, then, to love our God and love our neighbor. And love our neighbor, sacrifice for our neighbor, be willing to lose an arm or leg for our neighbor like they did And we're in those wars I was talking about, where we're willing to sacrifice ourselves, our own life if we need to, for neighbor. Greater love than no man that is, Jesus said, a man who gives his life for his friends. That's why we need to know each other better, get acquainted with each other, so we can understand in the near future that we may have to lay down our lives. We may have to have tremendous sacrifice ahead of us. So let's think about that. When I first came into the church again, you know, my wife and I, we'd go 50 miles out of the way to pick up this individual who lived out in a cornfield. And we took him to church. We'd bring him back. Sometimes we'd take him home, spend the weekend with him, trying to help him. And we didn't think a thing about that. We wanted to do that, you see. That was part of, of love, in essence, And we wanted to do that, to help this individual, because he was backward in a way. And uh, he had a lot of knowledge about scriptures and all, but a lot of times he didn't know how to put it into practice. So a lot of people back in the 60s sacrificed. I mean, they really sacrificed for each other. They gave to each other to help each other. They go to a feast. Now, to feast Jekyll Island, they'd sit in those tents, you know, everybody set up a tent, and people help each other, feed each other. And they were always talking to each other, talking about God, talking about the sermon for each other. And they were happy. They'd sing all night, sleep all day during the sermons. <laughs> but you, you could just see a spirit there. It's just something in the 60s people had. Then it left us when 72 didn't come to pass, you see. Then a lot of people who had that type of service went back to the world. But it's there, we have to use it. If we, God says, I'm going to give you my love, but tell me what you're going to do with it. I've said that before. Convince me you're going to use it. Tell me how you will use it. 
And it's like your teenage son or daughter coming up and said, Dad, let me have the car tonight. Well, tell me why. If they can convince you, you will let them have it. But they've got to convince you, you see. So we have to convince God. Talk to God. I'm going to use this. I need more of your spirit, more of that love, because it's hard for me to forgive somebody. And if you give that to me, I'm going to have the courage... I'm not waiting on anybody to go to that individual and say, look, if I've offended you, I want you to forgive me. That is obeying love, you see. Love for the scriptures. God's love gives us love for him. Gives us love for his Sabbath day. He gives us love for the holy days. He gives us love for God, for his brethren. He, he gives us love for our enemies, that we can love an enemy. It has to come from God's love. So once we receive that, we love what God loves and we hate what he hates. See, And understand that, that his love covers our sins. And that takes a lot of love, doesn't it? For you to cover somebody else's sin or cover my sin or somebody else's sin, it takes a lot of love. Not where we gossip about each other, run each other's reputation down. Because that doesn't show... What we would call God's love. The character is what we're building. Hope is what we live for. Going into glory. Into that glory forever is what we, is what we desire. <clears throat> so this love we receive gives us the power, you see, to fulfill the way of life. There's no other way we can do it. Humanly speaking, you can't do it. Our love is just temporary. And we can turn it on and off. We can turn love into hate before you know it. Temporary. Life is temporary. But what's going on inside us is forever. We have a different life in us. We're different people than we used to be. I certainly hope we're, you know, we're changed. Different people than what we used to live. Completely changed inside and that's a gradual thing, a gradual thing that happens to us, that gradual growth. So we come to see if we love God and obey what he says, just how fair and how just and understanding God is. We love him even more. I remember Mr. Ames talking in one of his sermons. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. You know, he's just in a prayer, thank God. And I, I do that. You know, you get thanking God, you can't stop. How great he is, that he's worthy of worship. Christ is a worthy Savior, worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience. See, and that makes you thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God in those areas of life. Our total conversion is based on how much we love God and his government. See, how much we love God and his government. I was telling people the other night, Bible study, when I was laid off for the first time in married life, is during the recession, almost the depression in Huntsville, Alabama. Didn't have any money, three kids, feast was coming up. I called the minister and asked him to come up. He lived in Birmingham. And I talked with him and I told him I was willing to do anything. Dig ditches, wash, you name it, and I was willing to do it. He said, oh, just be patient. So that's what he told him, be patient. I thought, yeah, it's easy for you to say. 
You know, it's very easy, but you know, I obeyed that. And I saw a miracle happen in about two weeks after I obeyed that. So I realized when a minister of God tells you something, whether you like him or not, you had better obey it. If you obey it, God will bless you. If you don't obey it, obey it. Then we go back to the way we think, we, the way we should love God. God didn't leave that up to man to determine how to love him. Man is his own authority. God gives us the instruction on how to love him and how to love our neighbor. He doesn't leave it up to us. What does Proverbs 14, 12 says? There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. If we do what seems right, what feels good, well, we would never do anything. Or if we put it off. You know, if we put it off, we don't have the courage to go up to the individual and say, look, I'm seeing you doing this, maybe you're drinking too much, and you, you want to be careful. So you want to be careful. You don't have to be condemning, but if we allow that, Where's the love then for the brethren? Where's the sacrifice for the brethren? See, now I'm no prude. I don't mean it from that point of view. That could be anything. That could be when somebody's flirting or trying to get in, you know, problems or whatever. And it's always too late. They look back and say, I wish I'd never done it. I wish I'd have listened. Mama, Daddy, I wish I'd listened to the ministers. I've had plenty of people tell me that. I wish I'd listened to you. If I'd listened to you, and made mistakes. But see, that's the wish list. God wants us to put that knowledge into action to see if it works. We don't know if it works unless we try it and see if it works. So we see how just God is. You know, God doesn't tell us, I hope all of you will love me. I hope all of you will be my people. He doesn't say that at all. He tells us how. He educates us. Each Sabbath, we get a little more information on how to love God, how to love each other, how to serve each other. That's why we come to church, to learn more about God, how to love Him, how to love each other, help each other, and serve each other. But man, in his own authority, see, he doesn't, doesn't know how. Proverbs 3, verses 5, tells us not to lean, see, to our own understanding. Don't trust your understanding. Trust what's inside you, your Savior, His Word. See, brethren, if I read the Scriptures and I see this says this, it might make me feel good, but to get it into my mind, I've got to work. I've got to put it into practice. I've got to put the Bible into practice. Christ comes in me through this Word. He lives in me through that Word. But I've got to put it into practice. And be like Christ, so people can see that you are changed, that you are different than the way you used to be. But just reading the scriptures to give me a good feeling, it will give me a good feeling. But to put it into practice is something else. It takes courage, courage to put that into practice. And it's the amount of faith we have. Action. See. So we have to think about those things. A Christian then has to restructure his life, recast his thoughts, rework his personality. He must become a new creation. It takes all of that. Restructure, your whole life is restructured. 
And it's all odd when you start keeping the Sabbath, the holy days, and tithing, and doing all that. It's odd to, because we've never done it before. Then we begin to work on our personalities. Trying to change. Only through God's Holy Spirit can that be done. Then we become, you see, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if you just turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And that's the way it should be. All things have become new. You know, it's just you learn something new about the Word, and every day you learn a little bit more about God and how good He is. You learn more about His work and how He's blessing His work. You learn more and more uh, about God. And, you know, I think about some of the men here. They really sacrifice themselves for all of us. They could retire. They could say, I'm too sick to do it. But they sacrifice themselves, arms, legs, or whatever, spiritually speaking, for us. So that we may learn the way of life and live it in that way of life. We all sacrifice Everybody who works sacrifices, but it should be to improve the lives of people. So we become a new creation. We're put into Christ, then Christ must come into us, you see. After we're put into Him, He comes into us through His Word. And lives in his, you know, we live that Word by faith. We put it into practice. Now all things are of God. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the mystery of reconciliation. Helping people who really oppose God. That's the key, isn't it? Reconciling them back to God. Helping them who oppose themselves, who oppose the church, who oppose God. Helping them, you see. The ministry of reconciliation is helping people to be reconciled back to God in areas of life. Now, the Apostle Paul had a profound love for God and his work. In Acts chapter 20, Acts 20, when he was talking to the elders there in Ephesus, and nobody called him a liar. He, he stated what he did, and he, and he was happy in doing what he had to do. In verse 22 of Acts 20, now see, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So he wasn't sure. He didn't know what was going to be there waiting on him, the kind of problems he might face, the punishment he may have, whippings or whatever. But he said, I'm going there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that change and tribulation await me. Now, would you go on, if that was told you, you go over here, this is going to happen to you. If you don't preach in Jesus' name, if you preach in that name, this is going to happen to you. See, We're bound sometimes, we think. But Paul knew his journey. He loved God. He loved God's work. He was willing to suffer the shame, willing to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Christ was in him. Doing the work in him. 
doing that work. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. And there again, you see, once we give up the life, the temporary life, it doesn't matter anymore. It's God's life. God decides whether or not I have to go through a certain tribulation or period for a purpose, for His name's sake. My life, you see, if I took back my life, I wouldn't do it. But my life is dead. And so I understand, Paul said he understood. His life was not dear to himself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you are, um, you all among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And that was a sad farewell in one way. And he was just talking about that probably he was going to have to die. And he was willing to sacrifice that temporary body, but he has something in him that's greater than that body. As Mr. Meredith's favorite verse, uh, you know, Galatians 2.20, Crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live, but it's Christ living in me. So we have to ask that question, how much is Christ living in me? How much does he own me? Is he really living in me? Have I taken back my life that I was supposed to have given to him? Because everything is temporary. Everything, you see, in his physical body. If we ever turn our backs back on God and go back to the world, this body is temporary, it dies, so we. There's no sacrifice. We sacrifice our eternal existence. We die forever. And that's why, brethren, I think that it's Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, and all are trying to prepare us for what is coming. We need to take it seriously. We just cannot say, I've heard it over and over and over and over. We take it seriously. Why would they get up here and preach that? Unless God inspired that. And I believe He inspires the ministry to help the people to be prepared of these trials and tests that come on us. That we don't falter. That we don't go back. That we don't blame God at all. I know when I was in Pasadena, there, Mr. Armstrong, <clears throat> he was there for about two years when I was there. Put in the church back uh, at that time, because uh, the Associated Church had broken away. And everybody, every time he gave a sermon, to be about the two trees. He started in the beginning, see. In the beginning of something. And see, they never did understand that beginning. Those who said, oh, no, not the two trees again, so they cut him off. And they cut themselves off from God's what happened. They cut him off. So they never did understand the beginning. He'd go back to Lucifer. He'd go back to how God created. And the two trees. One was permanent, tree of life. Others temporary. You choose which way you want to live. And so he would bring us up to date. And sometimes Dr. Meredith tells these stories. <laughs> and you heard him say, I don't want to get started on this. Well, he brings something new in sometimes. 
something we never heard of before, of the work of God. So we have to be careful how we hear. Do we hear the voice of Christ? Do you hear that voice? You know, it's his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you were given a, something to do and you're asked by one of the ministers, you need to do this, do you do it? Or do you make some excuse? Excuses will not work with God see, at all. We know what we are. We know we need to be saved from it. And God helps us to be saved. So the Apostle Paul was more than willing to restructure his life. You know, recast his thoughts, rework his personality. He was not the same. He was a different one than he was when he was Saul, you see. He's a different individual, completely changed. Christ in him, doing the work. He furnished the arms, the legs, the eyes, the mouth. He furnished that, and Christ in him was doing the work. He was God's workmanship. God was working through Paul to help others, to reconcile others to him, who opposed him in those areas. So when Paul thought about his future, as we have been admonished to think about the big picture, what God has for us, when he thought about this future in the kingdom of God, he wrote to the Christians in Rome, stated that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared of the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory, see, that is going, how is that going to be revealed? Well, he gives the answer to that in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 22 of 1. In the body of this flesh, his flesh, through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And what do we preach? That the kingdom of God is coming to this earth. Our hope, you see. And we believe it, or we wouldn't. Uh, I do, and I know you do. Which I, Paul, became a minister, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. You notice he didn't take it upon himself. He didn't ordain himself to be an apostle. He didn't break away from what he was taught by Christ. See, he didn't break away from that. He didn't start a new movement at all. He didn't think he was anything special. He realized he was the chief sinner. He realized he couldn't boast in anything except in Christ. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages, from generation, but now has been revealed to his saints to whom God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our only hope, brethren. It must be Christ in us of going into that glory. 
We cannot go in it the way we are. It has to be Christ in us, you see. Creating in us this new way of life. A new way for us all. That we experience almost every day in some way. In Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You know where we don't get drunk. We don't fornicate. We don't do those things to the flesh. If Christ is in us, the body is dead. See? It's not that we don't slip from time to time. Not that, but it's always Christ in us, you see, that's helping us. It's His life we're striving to live. Sometimes the old flesh takes over. And we repent of it. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life... Because of righteousness. See, the righteous life. And it's because God's Spirit resides in our hearts and minds. But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And sometimes, you know, your body just feels alive. You feel like you could whip everything under the sun. You know, you feel great. Uh, the whole body is, seems relaxed at times, at uh, one time or the other. It's God's Spirit gives us that peace see, that we're not all uptight around each other, that we love each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, my house is your house, my car is your car. See, we're family in Christ. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to live, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death those deeds of the body, so you will live. It has to be God's Spirit that does it. We don't have the human power to do it. It's God's Spirit has to kill, help us kill the deeds of the body, the lusts of the body. Fulfilling the body, you see. It's that power of the mind that controls the body, that controls the appetites. That's a power that we don't have. It comes from God. That power. Galatians chapter 4. Paul brings this out again. Galatians 4, verse 19. My little children, from whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So Paul's chief aim was what he's shooting for, is for Christ to be formed in them. See, And that's the whole process, in essence, that God is putting us through. We give up our life for his life. His life is eternal. Our life is temporary. The flesh is temporary. So we have to have another life that's going on, a new creation, ready to explode at the last trumpet into glory, power. It won't be the same old body. That we, it'll be a different body, powerful body that we will have. And Paul was kept writing about that to the churches that he had raised up. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 
2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. See, that's the key is we have to test to see if we're in the faith. Faith is empty. We have to test ourselves. If a brother is offended at us, we test our faith to see if we have the courage to go to a brother and ask the brother for forgiveness. That's a test whether or not a person's in the faith. They were examining Paul all the time. He said, well, you prove yourself. So prove yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? Unless you indeed, you are disqualified or reprobates. The mind of Paul was a righteous mind, you see. He said, you better know the Christ in you. If not, you're a reprobate. Void of judgment. Void of discernment in those areas. I believe time in my ministry, I've talked to reprobates. You know, it's just like talking to a wall over there. Just somebody you couldn't get through. You, can't, you couldn't get through to. And it's exhausting to try to help somebody to see their problem. To really see a problem, you can't change unless you see your problem. Or if I can't see my problem, how can I change? Now, I don't want to see it. It hurts when it's pointed out. See? My wife sees my problems all the time. <laughs> and it hurts when she points them out. But you see, I know I have to change. The problem is there. I have to work through the problem. Forgiveness is there, but I have to work through the problem. Until I control the problem, the problem doesn't control me see, at all in uh, these situations. Brethren, our minds cannot even grasp about eternity. They're not big enough to comprehend spiritual existence. We can't even fully comprehend the physical, can we? How many of us can name all the trees, all the flowers, all the birds, all the animals, all humans? We can't. I can remember about ten people. I know their faces, but I can't even remember names. So we can't comprehend a lot of things about God. He is so great. So let me just give an example. And let's consider for a moment what God has created. The astronomers estimate that our 100,000 million galaxy, each with 100,000 stars that dot the universe. And who knows how many more out there. I think Hubble Space said they're about 125 billion. And they keep finding things. There's no end, see. No end to God's mind. No end. He doesn't have an end. So with that in mind, let's turn to Psalms 147. Psalms 147. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Now look how many billion are out there, and he knows all of them by name. He knows all the angels by name. He knows every human being by name. His mind is so great, we can't even comprehend it. It's limitless. The power of his mind. 
covers the whole entire universe that we can't even comprehend it. Begin to comprehend the glory that will be revealed in us. Great is our Lord and mighty is His power. Mighty in power. And His understanding is infinite. It's just beyond human beings. See, we're limited in what we can think. When we first came to church, had God's Spirit, we, we just thought about maybe our local church down there. Then all of a sudden we were taught to pray for the evangelists, pray for people over in Africa here. And first thing you know, your mind began to spread, began to increase. See? Began to take on the whole earth almost. If that hadn't happened to me, I'd still be back there in that little, if I were alive, a little community, and that's all I would know. But when we were told to pray for all these evangelists, we did. It helped open our minds to the work in South Africa, work being done in Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Caribbeans, just like you know them all. That's why God's Spirit can help us. expands the mind. I ask Him to give me a bigger heart so that I can understand what He has there for us. So if we go back now to that one, we go back. Now if God, if if... You know, if we allowed God one full second by a reckoning of time, you know, the way we count time, one full second, that uh, to count each and name each star in heaven, do you know how long it would take him working nonstop? It would take him more than 300,000 billion years to count them all. Now, that's what astronomers estimate. I don't know for sure, but... How long would it take us to name a hundred people? Fire reckoning. Or a thousand people. Or name the states. How long would it take us? And yet, the Bible says God knows all of them by name. You see how great His mind is and we have access to that mind? That's the mind that should be in us. Let this mind be in you as in Christ. That mind. Not Einstein's mind. Not some philosopher's mind. Not the white mind, or the black mind, or the Filipino mind. This mind, Christ's mind, in us, you see. Our only hope of going into glory through Him. So we understand more and more just how great He is. But brethren, in spite of all these promises of God, some will still be lost. They don't see the big picture. They don't keep their eye on the ball. See, they don't keep their eye there. They refuse to restructure their life, rework their, recast their thoughts, re, re, rework their personality. And that's why would anyone truly want to give up? If I give up, you just say, Bob Lee went nuts. See, crazy. I've never thought about it. See, giving up. What would I go back to? Death? Like it used to be, it's death. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. And what the Apostle Paul was dealing with about a tribulation that was coming on Jerusalem, and the people had gone to sleep, weary, worn out. Hebrews 2. 
verse 1, Therefore we must give more earnest heed, or pay more careful attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. How many of us remember what Dr. Meredith gave last week? One. <laughs> I think that's right. See, it is, unless we pay special attention to what is said, we tend to forget it. We may feel good as we walk out the door here, but we get back in the old same groove Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we Christians get careless if we neglect so great a salvation or if we get careless or if we disagree with what is being said? By the Bible. How shall we escape it? See, how, how can we, if we disregard it, put it on the back shelf, things of the world is more important, money is more important, see, all these things out in the world are more important, can just crowd out God's way of life. Mind on the physical, see. Mind gets on the physical. What's going to happen to me? You know, what happens? Brethren, the eye, the, the kingdom of God, as we've been taught so many times, is so important to us, understanding that. So let's turn to chapter 5 now of Hebrews, chapter 5 of Hebrews. I think that's where I want it shows, uh, for though, verse 12, for those, uh, verse 11, read, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Why? Because they heard it over and over. And he was trying to explain about Melchizedek and Aaron, the priesthood, that Christ is the only sacrifice. See, he's the only sacrifice. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, it showed that they'd been in the church for a long time at that time. Someone to teach you again. You need someone to teach you again the first principle of the scriptures of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. That you are not mature. You're not grown up. You're easily offended. See, like a baby. If you don't get your way, you start crying. You start throwing things. You scream. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, because his life then is not filled with righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature, that is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern, say, both good and evil. That People who have been in the church a long time should have that discernment of what is good and what is evil. See? Discern those things. And we pray for discernment as, as well and understand. Therefore, he goes on leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to the perfection or maturity. You know, Matthew 5, verse 48. Become ye perfect. Progressive term, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or works that lead to death 
and of faith toward God, of whom the doctrine of baptisms of laying on the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good works of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. In Hebrews 10, he shows here in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If we have the faith, brethren, then we have the courage... See, to put it into practice. We have the courage then through the faith. It's like these soldiers were talking about doing their job. They had the faith and the courage of their, you know, or their comrades. They wanted to save them. Let us consider one another in works in, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, it shows that a few will, a few brethren will fail. And, you know, those who refuse to repent and those who have repented and turned back, they will fail. They, they will fail what God said. There's only just one sacrifice for sin. Unless we accept that sacrifice, then we become the sacrifice of eternal death. And that's why it's so important the life we live should be the life of Christ in us. Living that life, a new life, a happy life, getting rid of the old human life as much as we possibly can. So why don't we just cut out those things that would keep us out of the kingdom of God. Just cut them out and say, God, I want to be in your kingdom. I need more of your love to love you and to love my neighbor. So please fulfill that promise to me.